Well, church, it is uh, good to be here um, as we are in uh, our second week of a series we're calling A Life of Generosity. And this life of generosity, yes, has uh, places where we are asking you to switch our frame of mind what we're thinking about from one way to another. And the way that we're explicitly asking you to do that, church, as disciples of Jesus, is we're asking you not to move away from this idea of giving into one of investing, as the kingdom is one that is invested in, not just one that is given. And as we're thinking about this morning um, on the way and with our text, I was thinking, how do you like enter this thing? But And there's a thing that came to my mind that kept coming, and I was like, you know, you, as a pastor, you think, like, should I say this or should I not? Like, it's weird, right? But I said, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, anybody grow up playing the game, like, truth or dare? Like, can we talk about this for a moment? Like, this game is awful, first of all. And we play it on the playground. Like, it's introduced in places where there's, like, little authority and supervision that is happening, right? Like, yeah, I played it when my parents weren't around or were in the other room. Like, this is terrible. But then it's, like, this terrible game, and this is what happens. Like, it all of a sudden, you know, hits mainstream, and then it's in, a may, uh, like, a motion picture, like the Sandlot. Like, I double-dog dare you to go jump that fence, and get that ball. Like, right? Like, I double-dog dare you, right? I mean, and then there's even now, like, you go into Target, and you can go in and buy a truth or dare game. You can buy a kid one, or you can buy an adult version one. Like, this is where we're at. Truth or dare. And I, um, even, I second Nancy, as an introvert, you probably hate both, truth or dare, right? Uh, as an extrovert, I don't mind the truth. The dare, I'm like a rule follower, and some of my friends were on the cusp of doing things and suggesting things that I should just not do. And so I thought about this, like, man, what in the world? Why is this truth or dare, like, really a big part of it? But I thought about this when we get to this text, that for us as disciples— We often hold highly to truth, but we often forget that a part of what it looks like to be a disciple is to live fully into the dare of what it looks like to be a person of faith. Like a person of faith is to fully live into this life of a dare. It is irrational. It doesn't make sense. And you've been invited into it. And so this morning, when we talk about what does a life of generosity look like for us at Pine Lake, this is not just a series. And I want to say the things that we're going through this this year, this togetherness series, these aren't series. These are ethos of who we are as a church because we are followers of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, when we talk about our generosity, a life of generosity, when it comes to our treasures, I want you to know this. This is the truth. We'll lay the truth out first for those that don't want to go dive head into the, the, the dare. But we'll get to it. The truth is, you cannot outgive the giver. You cannot outgive the giver. Truth, right here, in, right here in front of us. When God's saying truth or dare, and you say truth, he says, you can't outgive me. I'm the source of all of the gifts that you receive. And so um, I want us to sit here in this truth this morning to talk about our gener- generosity, the ethos of who we are, who we have been, who we are, and who we will be comes from a place of a truth that we cannot outgive the giver himself. So I want you to turn into your Bibles. We're going to sit in a text uh, in Malachi chapter 3. And in Malachi chapter 3, um, we're starting three verse uh, three through twelve. Love if you have your uh, Bible in front of you, um, whether it's digital or physical, or you can have one. It's on the screen, and this is what it says. 
He will sit as a refiner. He is God. So this is God speaking. He will sit as a refiner and and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And their offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in the former years. And so I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, and against those who defrauded laborers of their wages, who oppressed the widows and the fatherless and deprived the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I am the Lord. I do not change. So you, descendants of Jacob's, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Here's the dare. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, your truth. Your truth is evident in your word. You speak it. God, you're trustworthy not because you just say it, because you prove it over and over again who you are. And so, God, we come to you. We come to sit uh, in your presence, to sit with you, to live a life as as a disciple, to move from where we are to closer to where you are. So, God, come. Send your Holy Spirit here in this place because we are your people. And you are our God. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Church, the more that I dig in to the text like this and the Bible in general, and maybe you'll, um, you'll get um, kind of this feeling, is that the Israelites have this consistency about them. It's like just a proclivity happening all the time, that they move away from God, and God is in a place of moving back towards them. And he's always correcting them, and their misunderstanding about who God is and who they are. Like, isn't that the thing about when we say truth or dare, and we say truth, we want to change the misunderstandings that we have and move them towards truth. And they would even say here in this text, and I think in all of us, the root of our misunderstandings is the sin that gets in the way between us and God. And so as people who are called to live a life of generosity, we're not saying that now. We're saying that through all of of human history that God has called his people to be a blessed people who bless people. It is in the DNA of who God is, and it should be in the DNA of who God's people are. That's the truth. And if the truth here is that God is the giver of all good things, you cannot give him and he is the giver, then God has invited us to be the managers. 
Like, this is where I'm saying, like, let's reorient ourselves into the role of who God is and the role of who we are. In Israelites, he's saying, hey, 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 you're getting it wrong. Let's reorient ourselves back to who God is, to the truth, and to who you are. This is the gap that you find yourself when it gets further and further away, that you get the gap that says, I forget who God is, and I forget who I am. The truth is for us, church, that God is the giver, and we are called to be the managers. They have forgotten. They have forgotten here in Malachi. The reason that they've forgotten is they're grumbling. Right? We hear this all the time, that the people of Israel grumble against God because their expectations of who he should be and how he should be moving doesn't match the expectations they have. Like right here in Malachi, that they're, they're saying that God hasn't been the generous one, that they don't have enough, and so they're not bringing it. They're not bringing everything. They're withholding and holding back because they believe God has not met their expectations. They are still a people of, under oppression, and they are still haven't fully realized this idea of being a people that is blessed. They believe it is conditional, circumstantial. Church, when it comes to life of generosity here at Pine Lake, we need to remember this truth first and foremost. He is the giver of all things. Look at your life. I look at my life in every aspect, everything. He is the giver of all things. I need to remember that and reorient myself when my, when my desire is to say, I have done this, to reorient myself back to the truth that God is the giver of all things. I did nothing on my own. Even this breath that I breathe is not done out of my own will. So his people were holding back, right? This is what's happening in Malachi. His people were holding back because they didn't believe that they could trust him. They didn't believe that he was providing enough. How many of us have prayed to pray like that? Like, God, if you started to give more in exactly what you were supposed to, if you would help me in my circumstance, then I will. Right? That's literally what the Israelites are saying right now. God, if you actually gave a full proportion of what I expected you to give, I would. The audacity. God, you know what? If you would do better at being God, I'd do better at being human. Like, <laughs> I mean, I just imagine like, huh. God, if you would be better at being God, I'd be better at being human. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. But the, the inverse is the truth. The inverse of that prayer is actually the truth. That says our act of giving... That our giving is an act of worship and a continual testimony to truth and faith. Our giving is an act of worship and it is a continual testimony of faith and trust. Church, I'm not going to be up here saying like Austin gets this all right and so you're going to learn from his life and he is just going to be the model example. I'm gonna t- I want you to learn from how I've learned. Ten years ago, over ten years ago, uh, Ashley and I said yes to a church in Texas to go serve at a seminary. We said yes to bivocational ministry, even though we wanted the expectation of full-time, which means saying yes to a church and a Starbucks. We said yes to Ashley working a job that was way under her skills and abilities, and one that was less than desirable. We said yes to being in a house and to being house poor because we wanted to invest and be in that community. We said yes to an education that caused us to have a mortgage payment and student loans. 
We said yes to those things. We said yes to our first kid arriving in Texas. And then we said no to Jesus. We said no to Jesus. We said that because we have a house, because we're bivocational, because we have a job that actually isn't as good as it should be, that Jesus, we actually don't have enough. If you would increase your output, I could increase my output. And if, if my pastor is watching this or somehow stumbles upon this like years later, something like that, I'm sorry, church, restoration, I did you wrong as a pastor. I know that now. But we talk about this phrase that Mark introduced, and I'm telling you it exposed me. In Texas, my capacity for generosity as a pastor exposed my shallowness of my discipleship. I'm standing up and preaching, and my generosity speaks a difference. Because I didn't believe the truth. I didn't believe the truth that God was the giver of all things and that I didn't have enough. And so if I didn't have enough, I had to watch out for myself. That our capacity for generosity reflects our depth of discipleship and church as a pastor, I failed. Failed awful. And God convicted our hearts when God poured out blessings that we did not deserve when we went to Connecticut. Can I tell you a truth? Oh my Lord, church, can I tell you a truth? We went to Connecticut, dropped Ashley's income altogether. We had one income, and we began to say, God, we are going to, we're going to live this out. Our capacity for generosity has to match the depth of discipleship that you have called us to. We are going to deep dive, not on the shallow end, and we're going to go deep, and we're going to start giving faithfully as two kids come, as three kids come. And can I tell you something? We lived on less in Connecticut and in Texas, but we didn't tithe in Texas. We didn't give. I didn't have the trust and faith that God was the giver of all things and that I had this envisioning responsibility of Jesus that if he could be better at being God and giving us the things that we need, then I could be a better disciple in giving the church the things that they need. Church, it shouldn't be this way. As a pastor, I repent of that. I repent of that because I look in the text and I see that our act of worship and giving is always about faith and trust. I didn't have trust and faith in Jesus in this area. Show me what you worry about the most and I'll show you what you trust the least in God. Church, I'll say this. It's being fully transparent. The thing I trust least in Jesus right now is that he would grow his church in the kingdom. I actually don't think he's doing it very well. Be honest. I feel like I need to have the skill set to do it. But the act of worship, of giving, being a life of generosity, takes it out of your hands and puts it back in Christ. And back in God's hands. And that's the way that it always is in the word, in the experience with Jesus, is that before Peter was told that he would walk on the water, Jesus invited him out of the boat. Peter did not know he would be able to walk on it, but God invited him in trust and in faith to step out of the boat and onto the water. And it was only when he stopped having faith and trust in God and he thought it required him to be able to stand on it that he began to sink. 
In the same way, feeding 4,000 and 5,000, they didn't say, bring everything you have and I hope it's enough. They said, come, show me your bread, show me your loaf and your fishes, and I will multiply it beyond what you can believe, and then I will come back and you will have more than you started with. It's always faith and trust before you see the outcome. Discipleship is this, is that we have faith and trust in a God who asks us to move in response to him before we're sure of the outcome. This is why it makes no sense. This is why sometimes the truth is so backwards. But church, if that's the truth, then what's the dare? What's the dare? Because this is the thing about disciples of Jesus. You can take the truth and you can go and you can never live. That's the thing about dare in truth or dare. The dare is that you have the gall, the substance, the guts to do what is being asked of you to do. As followers of Jesus, once we have the truth, now we're being asked to dare to leap out in acts of faith before we know the outcome. So the dare is this. It says, trust me, or test me in this. Test me in this. God, there, God doesn't say often. And actually, the Bible says, don't test God in multiple places. Here, he says, test me. Test me on this. Test me that if you bring the whole ties, that I will not open up the floodgates. And I'm telling you, the floodgates and saying open up, it doesn't mean a prosperity will come to you and guaranteed that you will have a life of prosperity. You have more than enough. It's not that. It's not the truth. That gets warped all the time by the church. What I'm saying is that just like Jesus taught his prayers, that give us this day our daily bread, that he is the provider. The dare is this. Trust me in this. Bring the whole truth and watch me as I prove to you who I always am. That I am faithful. That I am Jehovah Jireh. I am more than enough. The dare is that if you, does your life of generosity have legs? Do you not believe it, but does it have legs? Does it have substance? Test me in this. It is going to require faith, but that faith, what does it look like? Here's the thing. Kids, I have, a, I have something for you. I want, I want you to do something right now for me. You got, oh, you got this, Ellie? I want you to right now Grow. Just think, just grow. I'm going to grow right now. Grow. Just say it in your head. Grow, 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 grow. Did you grow? Why not? I'm not older. Oh, you're not older. Did you not have faith that you could grow right now, that Jesus would do it right now? Do you not have faith? Sometimes church, <laughs> our faith is sometimes limited to that. I'm going to grow. I'm going to grow. I'm going to grow. Church, I'm five foot eight and I'm shrinking. The Lord did not give me the second growth spurt that I expected. And I'm hurt by it. But church, like, honestly, we think that like, ah, I'm going to grow. I'm going to grow. We think that faith is not always just this conceptual headspace that you do. Like, if I'm going to tell kids, if you're going to grow, can I tell you to do this? Here, let me give you a plan. Eat your vegetables, eat your fruit, run around, exercise, and sleep. Teenagers, you hear that? If you're going to grow, sleep, eat your vegetables, right? Like, come on. Like, 
Sometimes faith isn't just this mental exercise that we created. Sometimes faith is actual practicality. Jesus, our God, in, in Exodus, when the people were wandering in the desert for 40 years, he was saying, I'm gonna, you're going to have faith and I'm going to test you all the time. And this is what faith is going to look like. Manna in the morning and quail every night. Manna in the morning and quail every night, and I'm going to tell you exactly how much to collect every morning and collect every night. And you're going to have to trust me and have faith that I'm going to, you're going to wake up in the morning and the manna's going to be there. And then when you're hungry at night, the quail's going to be there. And it's going to be more than enough. Sometimes faith isn't just this exercise of, hey God, hope you show up. It's an exercise of your body. And it says this in 1 Corinthians. It says this. When he's talking about, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about, about gathering together and providing for the Lord's people as these churches have started up, as he started to, his missionary journeys and started churches. He's starting into the Corinthians and he says this. Now the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections have to be made. And then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and to send them with your gifts to Jerusalem if it seems advisable for me to go also. They will accompany me. Church, when we talk about a life of generosity, isn't just this idea of, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be generous. Because what is our proclivity? To not be generous. Like, let's be honest, right? Our proclivity as a church, like, I had a professor that say this. If the church was a church, there would never, there would not be any um, um, charity organizations. There would be no need for world vision to exist if the church was a church. I was like, dang. There is no need if the church is the church. Because it needs to have legs. And what Paul is saying here to the church, and we're saying your exercise of faith is actually easy. It's actually practical. It's actually not like a headspace of like, what does it look to be generous? When it comes to our treasures, this is what the Lord says. This is what Paul says that is what it looks like as a follower of Jesus. It's periodic. There is a certain, for them what he was saying is like, every week you store up, set aside. Every week. And it's planned. You know what you're going to do with it. You know exactly what you're going to do with it and where you're going to bring it. There's a plan. Nobody goes anywhere and doesn't really have a plan. Even if it's the smallest plan, nobody doesn't just have a plan. We're not, we're not the A-team. I love when the plan comes together. It's periodic, it's planned, it's proportional. That when you come... That a life of generosity with our treasure, according to what it looks like to be a disciple, has legs. It's periodic. It's planned. It's proportional. It's private. It's between you and God. But I don't want you to have faith. I want you to have faith of what it looks like to exercise faith and trust. It's to say, I'm going to bring and be generous before I know the outcome is about to happen. And church, this is what I'm asking. As we kind of pull this all together, what does it look like for us to be a church, to invest in the church? This is what I believe, honestly. That God is asking you actually to dare in this. To test the character of who he is, that he is who he says he will be. To 
to prove it to you. Not so that then you can be like, mm, I got a God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it is to say that I trust and have faith of not on the outcome. This is what it looks like to be countercultural. It's not to say that I have a guarantee on my return of investment that we talked about last week. That I can control it. But I'm going to be generous and I'm going to watch what God does with it. This is what happens when the whole tithe is brought. What are you saying? When the whole tithe is brought, church, God will open up the floodgates. And that's what I honestly believe. The truth is, is that when we talk about being a life of generosity here at this church, and let me, let me just say it daringly. And let me say something you might not ever hear in a sermon like this. Church, if you give, we talked about being that God is the giver and we're the managers. I'm going to say this up here in front. If you give, not to us, but to God, I believe the kingdom will grow. I believe that God is who he says he is. I believe that he will start moving things. He'll be opening the doors and the floodgates, and we will have the ability and the desire to say yes to him. And I'm going to tell you this, the truth. And whatever, whatever our faithfulness, this has always been PLCC, but this is saying it now. You can record it. You can hear me now. Keep me accountable. Everything that we do as a church— will be about helping people find and follow Jesus. This is not about coming to the place where we as a staff and we as a leadership can pad our pockets. Church, hear me now. The moment that I say that we take the faith and the dare to bring the full tithe, to be in a life of generosity, and then six months, a year, two years come down the line, that you're saying, Austin, I feel like you're padding your pockets. Call me to the table. The church exists that we create spaces where people can find and follow Jesus. This is what we talk about, generosity in our ties that is bringing it to the church. You are encouraging the church to do what only it can do. That what you can't do, that we can meet and introduce and interact with people that are coming to know Jesus, that are in need, that we can reach out to, that we can provide assistance to, that you can't do. And then, in those offerings, you do in your generosity what you can do. I can't reach your neighbors. You can. A life of generosity is all about expanding the kingdom so that those who come into contact with us as Pine Lake Community Church, uh, I mean Covenant Church, (laughs) Pine Lake Covenant Church in this property, in this campus, will find and follow Jesus. And then when you go out of here, everyone in a life of generosity that you meet will find and follow Jesus through your generosity. Test me in this. And see if God won't open up the floodgates and giving you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to allow people to know Jesus. Church, this is what it means for us every day till now and every day from this moment where here at Pine Lake, in our existence, we will be good stewards and good managers of what God has given this church. And the moment we stop doing that, you have the right to call us out. 
You have the right to call me not a good manager. And I will stand up here and I will repent. Because that's who I am. I will submit myself to the body and to Christ for living contrary to the way of Jesus. But church, this is not this is not a plea. This is the ethos of who we are. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a disciple, this is who you are. Because this is who he is. So church, he is the giver of good gifts to his children. We as his children are going to respond in the same way in the likeness of Jesus. He is a giver. And so are we. Would you pray with me? Father, God, would you reorient my heart and us as a church to live away from push aside this idea of just doing things to check the box off. God, I want to sit here in the moment and just take an inventory of my life, of all the things that you have given me. And my prayer, God, is that the first words that come out of my mouth are just two words that are a marker of my generosity, of my graciousness and my thankfulness. Thank you. Then I look at all that you have done. Thank you. When I look at all that you have done for Pine Lake, thank you. For I look at the legacy of people who have come to find and follow you through this church and this kingdom, thank you. Now God, give me the courage. Give us the courage to say yes to you. We pray. We pray that we are disciples who become more like you every day. God, may the words of our mouth match the use of our hands and feet. God, that we won't be proclaimed as hypocrites, but people that look like you. Jesus, open the floodgates. I want to see the kingdom come here in Sammamish as it is in heaven. God, we ask this in your name. Amen.